0: There's been a lot of iterations of Ian Sweet, and each has come with its own incredible gifts and surprises and challenges and insanity and everything in between. And I think it reached a point where it's like, I need to get back to the root of all of this, why I started this project in the first place. After so many years of doing this, it's not spiraled out of control, but in some circumstances, people have stepped in, they've taken it too far. Like I've felt lost. I've felt small. This is my thing. And sometimes I haven't had control over it. And that's a really scary feeling. And so I I think this record for me was really important to get back in the driver's seat and like make sure I was the the freaking conductor.
1: That was Jillian Medford of Ian Sweet, and this is Shiros a podcast with a mission to turn up the volume of women's voices in music across genres and generations. I'm Carmel Holt and what you're about to hear is a previously aired interview from my syndicated public radio show, She Rose Radio. She Rose is a deep dive into the experiences and perspectives of women and gender expansive folks in a still overwhelmingly male dominated music industry. It's a space where we discuss challenges and triumphs, how far we've come, and how far we still have to go. Telling our stories is the first step to making music better for everyone. Today's guest has been on a shero's journey of losing and finding her confidence, her agency, and joy as a musician. First as a tomboy kid nicknamed Ian, then as the leader of her namesake band, Ian Sweet, singer, songwriter, guitarist, Jillian Medford, says she can't recall a time when she wasn't singing and would regularly do so for anyone who would listen. Eventually, a guitar found its way into her hands and she would immediately start writing songs but the childhood abandoned disappeared and she describes becoming more and more shy and insular about her creativity going to Berkeley College of Music was the next step for Jillian and was where she started performing first as a solo act under the name Ian in 2014 a band was formed and then the name became Ian Sweet and their debut Shapeshifter was released in 2016 immediately receiving critical acclaim the album was on Stereogum's Gum's list of the 50 best albums of the year and Ian Sweet was named one of Stereo Gum's best new bands of the year within a couple of years the band dissolved and Jillian was back on her own releasing Crush Crusher in 2018 the pandemic release Show Me How You Disappear arrived in 2021 her third outing as Ian Sweet and her first following a mental health crisis now Jillian Medford is back with her most confident fully realized album to date for an artist who has fought her way back to the freedom joy and confidence she once had as a child but now embodying the wisdom of all she has endured as a woman. We celebrate the release of Sucker and welcome Jillian Medford, aka Ian Sweet, as this week's Shiro in the spotlight. Jillian Medford, thank you for being here on Shiro's. I am so psyched to have you here. Thank you
0: so much. I'm so happy. (laughs)
1: <laughs> Here we are yes. to talk about Sucker.
0: Holy shit, dude. Album 4. <laughs> I've been at this for a long time. I'm so excited. This is my favorite record, which I've never said about a record. So I feel genuinely really excited about this one. I don't know. It's crazy. Coming out of the pandemic and... Getting to play shows with these songs, too, is a huge thing. Bringing them to, you know, reality and life, which I didn't get to do much with the last record. I'm just so excited.
1: Right, because that dropped March 2021. (laughs) I know, that that was just like... like,
0: (laughs) We were right in it. We were real smart with that. I don't regret that. I'm happy I put it out in the world and... I really love those songs, too. But there was a lot of intense growth that happened between these two records. And I just feel like this is a really strong showcase of where I'm at in my life. Oh, hell yeah. And like, it's exciting to be at a point where you feel confident. That's been a really tough thing for me in the past. Well,
1: and also I feel like this is a moment, too, where people are so receptive to talking about that kind of thing, because I feel like the pandemic, I mean, we're still kind of figuring out what it did to us. I don't really know that we can fully, like, do that calculus know, like, yet. Like, it's a little <laughs> soon, but
0: I know we're still getting COVID over here. It, exactly. So.
1: Exactly. But like the lockdown times and just slowing the fuck down. Yeah. It just forced so many people to look at our own shit.
0: Yeah, it was a really, really crazy timeline of events for me just because I had also just Like a month before lockdown had finished or like technically graduated from an outpatient therapy program that I was in for four months. So I was like, I'm ready to get back in the world and be healthy and good and treat myself kind and live life. And then I was like forced to then use those tools in an isolated way was really, really challenging, but really, really beneficial for me. I kind of loved what happened to me during that time. Would you be willing to share
1: what that growth looked like? What kinds of things happened for you? Because that could have
0: gone either way. There's, of course, like the pros and cons that came out of it. But I think I was just more comfortable with who I was and like accepting of the struggles I was going through and not so like down on myself, like a lot more kind to myself. And I thought it was really special to get a lot of time to do that, like to get a lot of time to continue to just focus on myself and get myself love and acceptance. But it was also, you know, it was challenging. I had like moved in with a partner very quickly and got a dog and also then wasn't spending a lot of time alone and was surrounded by another person quite a lot. And then that was its own puzzle to figure out how to spend time focusing on myself again and not getting so wrapped up in a relationship and codependency. Once again, that was like something that had made me spiral in the past. So it was like an obstacle I had almost set up for myself to see if I could overcome. It's often the theme of my life, but...
1: On the other side of all of this growth, writing songs and recording the songs, how did that show up for you on this record?
0: Yeah, so I set out to go on a road trip with my mom where we had listened to your podcast. And we drove across the country to upstate New York where I had set up kind of an artist residency in the Catskills. Let me just rewind. There's been a lot of iterations of Ian Sweet and each has come with its own incredible gifts and surprises and challenges and insanity and everything in between. And I think it reached a point where it's like, I need to get back to the root of all of this. Why I started this project in the first place. After so many years of doing this, it's not spiraled out of control, but in some circumstances, people have stepped in, they've taken it too far. Like I've felt lost. I've felt small this is my thing. And sometimes I haven't had control over it. And that's a really scary feeling. Speaking of therapy, we talk all the time about how I need to be in control. (laughs) And so I, when I lose control, it's like a very, it got a little out of hand. And so I I think this record for me was really important to get back in the driver's seat and like make sure I was the freaking conductor. And so I I set out to do that and wrote these songs on my own and demoed them on my own and really set up a challenge for myself to be like, can you do this? I think, yeah, I constantly want to prove things to myself. So going upstate and being in the recording studio alone for two weeks Even though we were in isolation with lockdown, I was with a partner constantly. And so it didn't really feel like I had any alone time. And I was I didn't really write much in that period either. So once that chapter had ended, I was ready to really experience what was next.
1: So the time that you're referring to in the Catskills, were the songs then written like in that condensed, compressed amount of time? What was the trajectory of this album?
0: I truly didn't write any songs before I went out there. I knew I wanted to write something. I knew I wanted to build upon like some ideas, get things cooking, but I did not have any songs written for the album before embarking on that strange little journey. But that was, I was like, I had confidence that I could do it. Like strange, out of nowhere confidence. (laughs) Suddenly I was like, I'm going to go make a record. I have a ton I want to say, and I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it. And that was so exciting to me. Because usually things are so planned out and meticulous and I get writing with tons of other people involved or people's opinions. And I was like, this is just me. I'm going.
1: It seems like your journey with Ian Sweet has been kind of like, like, it's almost like you were saying, like full circle now, right? Because it's gone yeah. like from you kind of exploded out to a band, then reduced back down, then yes. building on. It's kind of almost had this like ebb yeah. and flow in that way in terms of collaborators. And now you're really kind of dialing it back to like, no, 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 I'm bringing this in my container.
0: Yeah, I do love to collaborate. And this was also a collaborative process sure. at the end of the day. But
1: but where it started, the origins of it. Yeah. yeah. Do you want to take us to a uh, first song? What would be a good entry point that connects with the story, how this album was born?
0: She's maybe clean. I love that song. I, that was one of the, the first ones I wrote upstate. And I love that song. It really embodies a lot of this record. A lot of the questioning, but then the confidence and the strength and finding the strength that comes through towards the end of the song. And most of the song before is a little bit
1: meek. All right, so should I play the beginning of the song or should I play the end of the song?
0: Maybe the end.
1: We have Jillian Medford here. Ian Sweet's new album is Sucker. She's our guest today on Shiro's. I'm Carmel Holt. One of my favorite tracks, Clean. You got some blood going on in this record, Jillian. That's right. That's right.
0: <laughs> I don't know what was going on with that. But, Sometimes I pick like one thing and I just can't stop writing about it. There was a couch theme at one point in a record before. I was like, why am I singing about couches all the time? What's going on with it? <laughs> The couch makes a reappearance Oh, on yeah? Record. Okay, yes. there we go. Yep. Wow. The couch wow. is there. Oh, yep. God. I'm yep. always singing about a couch. I do love a good couch. <laughs>
1: Maybe it's a therapy thing. Okay, so I'm going to get super nerdy now. A lot of this is subconscious or stream of consciousness. Like you're saying, like, why couches? Why blood? Is this somehow tied to the lead track, Bloody Knees? Because it says there's blood dripping down your knees. It's just a cut. Baby, I'm tough. Don't worry about a thing. I'll wrap myself up. Clean up the blood.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So
1: how does this connect with Bloody Knees other than that?
0: Both of these songs are definitely connected in a way of being doubtful in relationships, care, putting so much like care and tenderness and love into something and feeling like it could shatter at any moment. Clean is really about me giving so, so much of myself to someone mm. and them just using me technically as like a rag. Like a lot of people interpret this song differently, which I like. I think that everybody should have their own interpretation, but it's not meant to be like getting clean from drugs or anything like that. Right. Clean in the sense of wash over me, use me to, you know, bathe yourself. You get to return to innocence while I'm stuck in whatever way I'm stuck in. And then Bloody Knees more so is like the beginnings of a relationship. So that was like, I'm scared. How is this going to turn out? I'm fearful, but I'm going for it and not really trusting my gut. And clean is like more of the outcome after not trusting the gut. Is this one relationship (laughs) that this album traces
1: or is it like kind of an amalgamation?
0: It's an amalgamation of things. I was definitely going through a lot of shifts and changes of no longer being with a long-term partner and then... Spending quite a lot of time alone and then entering a newer relationship and like weaving all of those together is a lot of the meat here. I wanted to talk
1: about your background for those that don't know you and aren't familiar with your story. There are things that I don't know, like when did you start writing music? How did you and music meet up in your life? Where did this all begin for you?
0: I can't remember not singing ever. (laughs) There's a lot of uh, home videos of me running around the house completely naked as a child, singing at the top of my lungs, giving performances on the coffee table, so wild and free. And so I was like always just performing. I had a little bit of a tough childhood and I turned the performance and the singing as a way of like being away in my room and coping and maybe asked for a guitar at one point for a Hanukkah gift or something. And it was like 10 or so. And then started writing songs, truly the silliest songs of all time. But then I became very shy about it. I would hide away in my room. Then I became very quiet and not wanting to share anything. I went from being like a very almost outrageous child to a lot more subdued and like keeping to myself and then yeah was just always writing songs and there was nothing else really that's all I did (laughs) I didn't have really any other I mean I went to like took art classes and I played tennis but that was always my favorite thing and my mom put me in guitar lessons but I was I couldn't really focus I was always getting so distracted And wasn't really interested in the lesson aspect i just wanted to write songs and i wanted to like make mistakes and the way i learned how to play guitar was by writing songs and completely making up chords i know my chords i guess but i'm still constantly just making everything up and pretending i know what i'm doing but somehow some way i got into berkeley And ended up going to school there and studying a lot more and learning a lot more about the instrument and my voice as an instrument as well. And like just growing exponentially from that experience. Not necessarily music school alone, but the people I was around and the DIY scene and basement shows and all that kind of stuff is what really molded me. And then I wanted to start my own project. That's when Ian, it used to just be called Ian. So that's where Ian began in Boston in a basement.
1: (laughs) I have so many questions. My first question is about the name. I always want to like unpack that choice when women name their projects something that is typically gendered male. Yes, And what
0: that was about. I have the exact answer for you. Yes! I love it. <laughs> I was a massive tomboy growing up, skateboarding all the time. My group of friends were just a bunch of funny boys and they nicknamed me Ian. Jillian. Jill, Ian, and took the Ian oh. from Jillian. And that had been my nickname middle school and high school. And then when I went to college, I I wanted to start fresh. And I was also like dressing a little more girly and wanting to be like a singer songwriter. And, you know, it was like I was really experimenting with a different identity or whatever. Just growing up also, figuring out things about myself. But then when it came time to name a project and I started playing shows, I was like, Jillian, what do I call it? What's interesting? What's going to get people interested or talking and... I was like, oh, what makes sense is Ian. That's my nickname. So for years, it was just Ian. And then we signed with Hardly Art. And they were they're like, you know, it's gonna be really hard to find you on the internet. And people are already struggling because like, how do you search Ian really? So we think you need to change your band name. So it was a lot of brainstorming, totally trying to come up with every other because I was like, if it can't be Ian, what I mean what, what what so we almost called it a million other things. And then I was just like, what about adding a word to Ian? Like Ian something. So it was like experimenting with what that could be. And so funny. Ian sweet. I don't know. It doesn't, the sweet doesn't mean anything. The Ian means a lot to me. The sweet, I don't know. It's just a word. But I've had emails from people who are actually named Ian sweet, like a guy from Ireland or something. I bet. So of course I want to know, like inquiring Shiro's Oh, do people think I'm a guy? Totally. Or or do they, or or is it like they get there or they're like, oh.
1: I thought you were
0: De- a dude, you know, like De- kind of a, like <laughs> definitely there. Or they don't say hi to me. They think that somebody else. In there's the band. a guy. Yeah. Yes. They, think, they think Ian is coming. <laughs> like, I'm like, hi, I'm Jillian. And they're like, OK, um, so, yeah, we're like trying to find someone else to ask the tech issues about. I'm like, no. So we have this guitar amp and we have one DI and this, you know, I'm the one explaining it. So. Yeah, we run into that a lot. I also run into fully people being like writing an email to my manager or something and saying like, we'd love to have him do this or that. Just absolutely no clue. Wow. Yeah, it's been an interesting journey with that. Nobody calls me Ian anymore, but it is funny when people do refer to me as Ian. So, okay. I'm going to put a pin in
1: in the whole gender identity of the band thing cuz I want to make sure that I ask you about Berkeley because no shade to Berkeley because No,
0: I could shade. Okay, dude, <laughs> I've just had so many people on this show that have gone to Berkeley. Yeah. And goddamn it, it's, it makes me sad. It's a struggle. If my mom hears this, she won't be happy cuz she hates when I talk shit on Berkeley because, you know, she paid tons and tons of money. Love you, mom. But yeah, and I also have tons of you know student loan debt. Amazing school, right? Right.
1: I've on heard <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that the women that go there are not encouraged to be anything other than vocalists. Like there's a real emphasis on women being vocalists and singers. They are not taken seriously mm-hmm. in other arenas. Mm-hmm. Being an instrumentalist is is very hard there, especially if you want to play guitar. If you want to be in the engineering side of things, that's also hard. Or in theory, tons of people have told me that they found themselves to be either completely outnumbered
0: hmm.
1: and or their talent or their desire to pursue those things being ignored or discouraged. That's what I've heard. So yeah confirm or deny. I'm curious about your experience. Obviously, I'm sure there's a spectrum in between.
0: I struggled day one. I felt like such an outcast. I felt like I wasn't following a formula. And I started off as a songwriting major, but quickly just could not connect with what was happening. Yeah, I think that, you know, I technically got in with voice, with singing, but like, I'm not You're a very stereotypical singer. I have a certain way of singing, and I think that there's a beauty in training your voice to sustain and be healthy and, like, breath work. There's a lot of beauty to that, but I also think a lot of the courses and curriculum, if you were female, wanted you to sing a certain way, wanted you to be, like, Adele, literally. Like, that. It's like, this is... What? How are we being encouraged to be unique or anything out of the norm and it was the same in the songwriting classes I had a lot of trouble with the male teachers in songwriting how can you critique somebody's lyrics like critiquing in front of a class like something so personal like that like lyrics from a 60 year old man who's like obsessed with Billy Joel and that's all he references I really don't know I really don't know how to No shade to Billy Joel, amazing songwriter. But it's like, it was hard to go out of the box there. And I really struggled and I wanted to drop out so many times. And I begged my mom, but I wanted to stay in Boston because I loved the community in Boston. So it was like, she was like, if you want to stay in Boston, you need to stay in school, else you're coming home. And home was in LA. LA, right. But I was learning so much just from my community and like, that's where I grew through booking shows and going to house shows and seeing things I'd never seen before. Yeah, Berkeley is not, <laughs> like even now they're not really, sorry, I'm, I'm They're not even like, they don't even, dude. <laughs> it's like you pay so much money to go to that school. Where is the support? It's really tough to make money with music. We all know this. I don't make sustainable money with Ian Sweet. And it's still hard for me to find like another kind of job in the music industry. I'm like, I have a Berkeley degree. It's hard. What they should be teaching you is how to be a working musician.
1: Yes. But the jobs that you would want to supplement your income as a musician, like what are those jobs and why is it hard for you to get them? Do you think that there's a sexist?
0: Yes. Fully. And, and at Berkeley, that was so present, too. Uh, what you were saying about, like, the engineering programs and the film scoring. I wanted to do film scoring, but it was so male-dominated. I don't think there was one single female in that whole major. That was something I was super interested in. And also, like, electronic production and design. I wanted to maybe do that as well, but it's like, that is all dudes. <sighs> Women were afraid to get involved. Oh, God. There's the... the A lot of the faculty, like, weren't super welcoming to women. And if you, like, raise your hand and ask questions, if a guy asked it, it wouldn't have been thought of twice. But I would get embarrassed or I would get scared to ask something that would be looked down upon. Like, oh, well, of course she doesn't know what this and this is because she's a fucking girl. So I just kind of, like, kept to myself and stayed in my own lane and ended up, like, making my own major. It ended up the songwriting was male-dominated with... Old, like, with old with like, crusty older, dudes. old crusty. Older old crusty men. Yeah. And my favorite class I took there was called Twentieth Century Women Songwriters, which was amazing, taught by a woman, all about Joni Mitchell, Carly Simon. It was all that. I love that, but it was like, who was in that course? Just a bunch of girls. Like of right, course. Echo chamber. Of course. Echo chamber. Yeah. It's like, yeah. well, we're preaching to the choir.
1: And See that should be required for all of Exactly the male identifying students.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. And I was like, I already already know all about about this because I like I'm obsessed with Joni Mitchell. I've read all the interviews, Same. I've done all the things, you know. Yeah. But it felt like a safe place to be. And I was was. just going to say, you were probably craving
1: that safety so much that you're like, I'll go there because at least there
0: I'll feel like
1: I'm among people that get me.
0: Yeah. And then then also I ended up being in a Joni Mitchell ensemble, which was really, really special. But then just all the players were, I mean, obviously the singers were girls, but that's not obvious. I mean, there could have been male singers as well, but no guys signed up to do that. But all the players were male. And it was just like, I don't understand. I Yeah, I could go on and on and on. But, and I think we all, we're trying to move past this and we're, tr- or like, I'm sure Berkeley is outwardly trying to put something out there about inclusivity and being like. Sure, they're. Really in your face about it, but. Right. I don't think the opportunities are equal. If
1: I'm getting the timeline right, this was like ten years ago, right? Yeah. yeah I I just turned 30, so Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. So you're out of Berkeley, it's not all it was cracked up to be sexist, misogynist. <laughs> those are my words, not okay, yours. Okay, okay? okay. I'm not putting those words into okay. your mouth. I'm just saying. It feels like these institutions that should be inspiring, teaching there to empower the people, the humans that come to them to learn and to grow and to go off into the world to do something in music. It doesn't feel right to me. I think it's fair to say it is not right to pay tons of money to feel discouraged.
0: So true.
1: So true on that. Yeah. <laughs> and marginalized. Yeah. And discriminated against.
0: Yeah. You cannot be paying that much money and not be getting what you want out of it. No. It's like, it's, it's, and truly even if it a, was,
1: it's crime. Right. And the money, <laughs> the money is like the thing that makes it criminal. But like, yeah. you know, across the board, let's just say that is not what equality looks like. Yeah. Let's play a song. Where do you want to go next?
0: Maybe we do the song Smoking again, and the nice. upbeat one. This song is about feeding into bad habits and patterns, even though you know it's not good for you. Letting yourself spiral out of control just to see you kind of where that chaos takes you. And sometimes that's fun. And sometimes, sometimes it ain't <laughs> so fun. This is about both of those instances. We're together.
1: called Smoking Again. It's on the new Ian Sweet album, Sucker. It's the fourth album for Jillian Medford. She's our guest today on She-Rose and I'm Carmel Holt. And we were talking about institutionalized sexism. Yay! In college, specifically Berkeley, where you went to school and kind of revisiting the beginnings of Ian Sweet. We talked a little bit about naming your band Ian and then Ian Sweet at the behest of your record label. And how that's made for some interesting misconceptions about who is leading this band, let's say. You started to allude to some of the things that would happen. The person that you're wherever you're going, whether that's in a live setting or in a studio, like looking for Mm. the male member of your band to ask the questions to where is he in so that we can get the answers we need. Yeah. Would you be willing to, can you talk to us a little bit about what your journey has been with collaborators. You know, you've also talked a little bit about being in the midst of your project, but not feeling like you had control of your project.
0: Yeah, I I was very independent with my music starting out and did everything myself and wrote everything myself and recorded it all myself. And it, it was such an exciting new endeavor and adventure for me that I feel like I was just beginning to scratch the surface of before... I met my first drummer who ended up becoming just such like an integral piece of the puzzle in a way that I didn't expect. You know, I was playing a house show by myself alone in Boston. And someone I didn't know came up to me and said, like, you really remind me of a band I really love. They're called Land of Talk. And I was like, oh, I I love Land of Talk, too. And we just started talking about them. And he's like, you know, I play drums if you ever need a drummer. I was like, hmm, yeah, maybe. Didn't really think much about it. I was like not really looking for that. I don't know. I wasn't really looking to start a band even. I think I was on my own journey at that point. But it ended up I booked a tour by myself do some... East Coast shows during like a winter break or something from school. And um, I had someone who was about to play with me and travel with me. And then they dropped off last minute and they were the person with the van and everything. And I was like, oh, shit. So I called up that guy and I was like, by chance, do you have a van? Are you available? This, this and this and this date. And you drum, right? He's like, yep, yep, yep. And boom, like we practiced and so quickly, so quickly, it became not even equal. Him calling a lot of shots, him being like, you should try that chord instead, actually. what you're playing doesn't really work with this. Or how about if you sing it like that? You know, and I was so young, so young. And he was a lot older than me. And I was like, oh, yeah, he must know. Yeah, he's been doing this for a long time. And you know what? I've been talking about this a lot more recently and thinking about it. It was really intense time for me being young. And this person was very, it was like, so it's like weird to say, but in a way it was a little bit grooming. Right. And I just would listen to everything he said. He was like, became the authority on everything. And in the way, like a caretaker Because we went on tour, he would make sure that I was comfortable and happy and would get me a drink. And it was like I was being taken care of, like an older brother, kind of. But also with a little hints of other vibes in there. It just took over. And I was very, I was naive. And really excited about all the things that were happening. And we were collaborating and feeling like that was the first time I'd had a bandmate in... And then as I got older and we played together for a few years, a lot of crazy things ensued that I won't get into. But it became very apparent that this was like a very not good person. And they really, really dragged me down with them. Mm. And we were about to go on a tour in Europe. And like two days before we were about to leave, I had to fire him because he had done some things that were just like really, really terrible. And so, and then I ended up firing him and I didn't have any problems with my bass player at the time, but it was just an amalgamation of things. I just needed to just go, go away Mm. from that. Mm -hmm. And ended up just going on that Europe tour by myself and just never, ever looked back. Like after that, it's never been a bandmate thing. I've been so traumatized by having permanent members from that experience I like to collaborate, but I am very much like I have to keep what's mine sacred. Like it's a sacred thing to me now to have my own thoughts and ideas and trust my instincts. I was so doubtful of all my instincts for so long because anytime I'd bring like a song to practice or this or that, it would get absolutely ridiculed and reamed out and changed and cut to pieces The early days of Ian sweet it doesn't sound like it sounds now because so much of that, there's me there. Of course, there's me in there, but there was a big, big chunk missing. My voice was missing. And so over the years, I've had to get that back. I never really had the chance in the first place to show my full self. It was automatically like taken over by a man. (laughs) So that's why I feel so confident in this record and What I've been doing the last few years, I'm proud of who I've become and how I've taken care of myself and my needs and let my own instincts and my own music shine. Thank you for sharing all that. It's crazy. Like when I hear that,
1: the word that pops into my head is survivor. You know, Mm -hmm. like, I mean, I don't want this to sound like super dramatic or whatever, but this is part of why this show is called Shiros. Mm hmm. Because in a lot of cases, you never even get to hear that story, but that shit happens all Mm. the time. Yeah, yeah, of course. So what it takes for us still to exist in this world of music and create and have our creative freedom and get our voices heard, even though it looks like on the surface, like things are so good now. And like, look at all of the like femme and queer artists that are out there. There's so much. It's like, wow. And it's true. There is a lot. But man. Totally. Totally. What it takes to like make that happen is (sighs) you you have to be a survivor. Yeah. You end up having survivor story in one way or another. Yeah. So I just want to say like, I really see you and I applaud your strength, your inner strength, your commitment and recommitment to yourself. And I see that that's what this is and that what this record represents is that and it is so so fucking amazing and exciting <laughs> as we're going through this story and tracing the roots of where this all began and where you are now you know we started this conversation by you telling us that this is your favorite and i could understand why you fucking earned this you know <laughs> you're planting your flag now
0: thank you thank you yeah i i really liked what you said about like a recommitment that makes so much sense like got so far off track from that for so long and I've made a few records since I didn't have those bandmates but it's like your brain doesn't immediately switch you've been through something traumatic and you can't just put that aside immediately and so it's taken me writing and writing and writing and trying to build my self-esteem back up over and over again just a quick anecdote I, I remember the record I wrote right after I parted ways with my bandmates Pitchfork, like, had no idea what the story was about me not having my bandmates anymore. Like, no fucking idea. Mm-hmm. And just uh, so much of the article and the review about the record was like, so yeah, she fired her bandmates and now she's trying to do this on her own. And this doesn't really sound like her. It's weird. It sounds so different. What is she trying to do here? I was so devastated. It was so heartbreaking to me. I took it so, so, so personally. And I was like, nobody understands why I separated from them. And I don't feel safe enough to tell my story really about it. I don't feel like I have the space to, I don't know why I never really went into it. And I also didn't really understand until the last couple of years what really happened. Because I was so young and just did what I thought was right. But I remember everyone being like, yeah, she just fired her bandmates because they wouldn't move to L.A. or something like that. And I was like, all right, you have no clue. <laughs> you have no clue what I went through and how hard I've worked. And it was, in a strange way, I, I do feel like I kind of rushed to put out that next record after I was separated from them because I was like, I just want everyone to know, like, I don't need it. I don't need anybody. I don't need them. And I'm good. Look, look at me. I can do this on my own. And not that that's not why I'm not super proud of that record, but I don't feel incredibly connected to it because I didn't have the time to process things yet fully. And that's why as I continue to put out music, there's so much processing to be done. I will be processing for the rest of my life, of course, but I feel like I'm at a point where I understand myself so much better and understand my decisions and respect my decisions and respect myself. And it shows in the music Hell yes to that. And I mean, some of that comes with
1: age, too, you know. But you were saying, like, I don't know, I didn't feel safe to say anything about it or talk about it in this way. Because, I mean, not only had you not had enough time and distance away from it to be able to be articulate about it or even process, metabolize what had happened, but there's still not a lot of spaces in media, in journalism that are set aside Like this that are like safe spaces where you don't feel like you're going to be put on blast or misquoted or
0: spun
1: somehow or, you know, there isn't like another agenda. Also, like we're so like in a scarcity mentality still that I think it's also like we don't want to jeopardize ourselves. Like, oh, I don't want to like offend anybody or say anything wrong or like be the bitch that's like complaining about so-and-so because then how am I going to be perceived and I just need to like suck it up and be strong and just push forward like that. I mean, I don't know if any of that resonates, but I'm just like,
0: I'm I'm just, yeah. I wish people could see my face because my eyes are wide and I'm shaking my head like, yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. I know. There's so much worry as women definitely about like if I say the wrong thing, Yeah, people in the public eye, it's like you get one chance almost and don't want to blow it. So you got to be so careful about what you choose to like speak openly about or something.
1: It's fucking crazy. Yeah. It's crazy out here. <laughs> That's why we have this show. Again, I'm just going to say how grateful I am that you are able and did just share all that with us.
0: Thank you for creating. Oh. Sp- no, for real. Thank you for creating a space for me to feel comfortable to share that. You're welcome.
1: I just have such a strong sense of necessity here. But then, you know, sometimes... I go through my own moments of feeling doubt, you know, about like yeah. what I'm doing and if and is there a need for it or is it blah, blah, blah. like what what am I doing? Mm. Am I affecting any change? But mm. I think, you know, ultimately, women hear your story just now and feel seen. We've done it. Even if one. So much of this is still kept in the shadows and I have a lot of people come to the table who end up self-editing themselves. Like, we're so conditioned to do yeah. that. It's harder than you would think to step forward in a public way. You think about, like, women who step forward and speak up on abuse, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a form of abuse, but like a physical abuse or rape. How hard it is for them to speak up. Right. And again, not to be dramatic, but it's kind of got a similar flavor, right? Because our livelihoods, our careers, our person, and our emotional well-being is all wrapped up in our jobs and in our work in the music industry.
0: There's so much to, you know, I have a particular story and I've been really open about my therapy and going to outpatient and being like... Mental health, yeah. Mental health. And I really Mm -hmm. am glad that people resonate with that and also that I've been able to share that. But I also think in the indie rock space people want you to have a story yeah like there's something where they're like well what's the story if you haven't gone through something absolutely terrible what does it all mean or something like that like i'm speaking in a man's voice because it seems something that like men want you know they're like well i don't get it why is she so sad she has to have something Mm -hmm. absolutely terrible there's like a this is maybe the wrong word, but like a trauma porn aspect to it. Like people really want you to have gone through something awful might be a little dramatic. But in order to connect to your story or something, but be a credible artist. Or yes. Something. Yes. Mm-hmm. I've heard that before. With mm-hmm. this record, I feel like I was in a really healthy space and I was treating myself well and I was making sure of that for a long time, for a while now. And when it came time to kind of think about the themes of the record or like, what's the story? I was like, last record, I was in an outpatient therapy and everybody had something to write about that. And everybody resonated with that. So, yeah. <laughs> so I was like, quick, what what's wrong? <laughs> I felt like everything is great in my life. Obviously, the record is like sad. There's a lot going on. But I was like, it didn't feel like everything was crumbling around me when I was writing it, though. And I can't sit here and tell you that. I can tell you that I felt good. I felt confident. I felt healthy. And I can still write from a place of hurt. But
1: that's the fucking story right there. Right. Like, Bully, right. do you know Alicia Boniano? I love her music. I don't
0: know her personally, but I, I love I love yeah. Bully.
1: So she was on the show not long ago and she was talking about more in the context of getting clean and sober. But she was saying like the narrative around needing to be sad, tortured, unhealthy, in addiction, all of that in order to make good art, that has to stop. Like that was her whole thing. She's like, it is toxic. It is categorically not true. She's like, the healthier I get, the better my art gets. I'm more focused. I'm more present. I'm in so it true. Now. So yeah. true.
0: That's so true. It's like being much more present and proud of what you make. But thing. for women, it, that's hard. That's the thing. I felt yeah. like, yeah, you feel like you can't be proud you feel like there's something wrong with being confident in the work you make because you're not supposed to be confident because then you're looked at as being egotistical, which trust me, I'm so fucking insecure. I could never be that egotistical. So I'm like, relax, I can be confident and still be insecure. But that's me talking to some guy, talking to into a mic, into a podcast. But there's a way to be proud without somebody judging you and... You're allowed to be happy with what you make and what you work so hard on. I think I used to be embarrassed about being excited about my music. Or I felt like something was going to rub someone the wrong way to be like, I love this song. I love this song that I wrote. But I haven't ever really been able to say that till this record. The song that came out today, Emergency Contact, I love that song. It helped me through something difficult. It feels so good to me. I'm proud of it.
1: Love that song too. Can we play a clip of that oh, song yes. right here? Yes, yes. Hell yeah.
0: dark sometimes, but I keep you out of sight, not ready to see what I'm
1: Emergency contact from the new Ian Sweet album, Sucker. It's the fourth full-length album for Jillian Medford, our guest today on Shiro's. I'm having so much fun. We've been on the (laughs) line for over an hour now. I should have known. I should have known this is going to happen. Two Jewish girls talk about sexism. Go. (laughs) Okay. So... There's so much I still want to talk about, but I have to believe oh. that we're gonna have another chance. Okay. Yeah, yes, we do we're gonna part dish. Two. we'll, do, yeah, we'll do, do a part two, two and we'll dish more. The one thing I wanted to ask before we do the Shiro's magic wand, um, Oh, yeah, is you know you said the thing about collaborators and the band and how through your not great experience, putting it mildly, in the beginning you've arrived at this place where you're like, this girl's gonna do this by myself, thank you, no longer a band project. What would it look like to, or what does it look like for you to assemble a band? Would you consider, have you considered surrounding yourself with femme and queer musicians and producers, collaborators, crew people, to see how that would ride?
0: Absolutely. I think that's like the dream is to have supportive people around me and people that I support. And especially femme and queer energy is like something I really would love to be able to travel with, spend time with. That's the goal. Currently, there's no like permanent members of the band, but I do have a drummer that's been playing with me for a long time now who I just love and trust. And it feels like he is Permanent, but there's also no fear in him not being permanent because it also allows for an exciting new opportunity. I think that I've sure. like had to be okay with letting go, but I feel really safe with him, and that's something that is really important to me and that I cherish, and also I think that I make him feel seen and safe as well. But I've been really wanting to add a synth player, particularly somebody femme, queer, non-binary, person of color, et cetera, because I would love to be able to give like an opportunity to someone not as privileged as a white man. And I'd love to be able to just play with a synth player. (laughs) Well, I was (laughs) just going
1: to say, and also give that gift to yourself. Yeah. You know, I don't know how much experience you've had collaborating with that energy, but it would be so interesting to see how that would shift things for you.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's very true. Not as like a checking
1: the box kind of a thing or like hiring somebody because they're a woman or they're non-binary, but as part of your practice and your journey of creating the world around Mm -hmm. you that you want. Yeah. Remaking it in a way that works for you. Yeah. All right. How about we do a wish? That would be my wish for you. Okay. <laughs> There's my wish for you. And of course, it doesn't have to be gender specific. I think you also hit the nail, too, that it's like ultimately, above and beyond anything else, it's about feeling safe with the people around you, you know, yeah. regardless of their gender identity or expression. Yeah.
0: So. Everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody feeling safe and having fun and being themselves. And having fun. Yeah. Have fun and be yourself yes. and be nice.
1: Yes, exactly. (laughs) Be kind. All right. So, Jillian, with a J and one L. Yeah. At the end of each Shiro's interview, I hand over the Shiro's magic wand to my guest. And I say, with this wand, you can change anything in the music business, in the industry, for women, non-binary, and queer folks. You got the wand in your hand, might feel a little heavy. You might have a big, long list of of wishes, but your first wave of the wand, the first thing that pops into your head, what would you change?
0: Good Lord. I wish that female and non-binary people, queer people, like feel like oftentimes we do a lot of comparing to other people and seeing other people's accomplishments. And that's so tough because obviously we spend so much time online and on the internet and everybody's putting forth their best foot you know, and we see only the best, but something beautiful, the pandemic is everybody felt like so at ease. Like we didn't have to be like, how come I didn't, how come I can't, I want to do that tour and I want to do, I just want us to feel safe and heard and seen and like continue to just build and play music and create for ourselves, not for this machine that we think we need to keep making content for in order to be successful. I feel the best when I'm creating for myself. So I hope that everybody else can find a way to feel that way.
1: That's a great wish. Thank you, Jillian. How should we go out today? What song should we play?
0: Your Spit. This song's fun and everybody's kissing. And it's a funny Ian Sweet song when all the songs are usually pretty sad. But this one's just about making out. So that would be a fun one to end on. Kiss me. Kiss me like you're leaving your spit taste different. Why don't you kiss me like you need it? Kiss me like you're leaving your spit taste different.
1: Kiss me like you need it, make me believe it, make me believe it. With thanks once again to Jillian Medford. Thank you for being with us on Rose. Thank you. Many thanks to Jillian Medford for being with us. The new Ian Sweet album Sucker is out now on Polyvinyl Records. She Rose is produced by me, is mixed and mastered by Kelly Drake. Our original theme music is by Lucius. She Rose is also a nationally syndicated radio show. You can visit SheRosedRadio.com to find out more and support our work with Patreon or merch from the She Rose shop. Keep in touch on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at Carmel Holt or find us at She Rose Radio. And please consider leaving us a rating and review wherever Whenever you listen to your podcast that helps us grow and bring you more shiros. until next time remember music is our superpower i'm carmel holt thanks for listening